Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 58. Today's show is a sneak peek at three of the speakers who will be featured at the summit next week. Simone Ahuja, Josh Ness, and Jonathan Burtfield all gave us phenomenal interviews, so we combine their interviews together as a special episode about mindsets and tools and which one has to come first. Hi there, everyone. I'm Victory, the producer of Inside Outside Innovation, the podcast that brings you the latest insights from people who know the most about building lean businesses, innovating within corporations, and disrupting entire industries with passion and precision. We interviewed Jonathan Burtfield at the Lean Startup Conference, and he noted a bad trend amongst innovators that we have some solutions to later on in the episode. So I think one of the things I'm seeing more of at these kind of events is, is a focus on tools, you know, the platform to manage your innovation structure. And I think it's, it's almost an inevitable outflow of, you know, more people are doing this. And so, like, there must be a silver bullet solution. And, and there may well be. I think one of the dangers for teams thinking about uh, adopting Lean Startup is to think that it's a tool-centric approach that mm. if we get the tool in mm. we're going to be golden and i've not seen any evidence of that at all interesting um but it's much more about the culture and the dynamics in your particular organization and hacking the tools because really what you're talking about here is, is data and managing the learning and, and those kinds of things so um some of the companies where I've, I've worked we've started with things as simple as google spreadsheets and shared files and trello boards and any of those kind of simple tools mm-hmm. Because you've got to really be careful about locking yourself into a tool that orients either a perspective or you know locks you into an approach too early. Sure, so. sure, sure. It's, it's very much more a mindset, as you said, in a yeah, culture very uh, much that so. you can start to experience. And uh, I, I think you're many times also when we think we're adopting a new solution, again, technology seems to be the right thing. We, we need the technology when, in fact, we need the right maybe process or framework or mindset or Everything yeah. that's behind that, the behavior that's behind it, yeah. and then eventually the tools to be able to support yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Simone Ahuja with Blood Orange discussed how to succeed at shifting a mindset and what tools really help with making that change. So Jugad Innovation, in short, is a frugal, flexible, and inclusive approach to problem solving that's resourceful and leverages ingenuity. And... You're right. So I think Jugad Innovation is very much a couple of things. It's not just, a, it's not a methodology alone. It's mm-hmm. also the mindset. And that's sort of the first piece you, sure. you mentioned, right? So it's the consideration of the assets that we already have at hand. And it's an entirely different approach to thinking about problem solving. In addition, it's similar to Lean in, in many ways. And actually, interestingly, I learned this then through these grassroots entrepreneurs, especially people who really had nothing. They had very little education. They had very little money. They had very little resources of any kind. But they were still solving big problems. They went through iterative learning cycles as well, just like in design thinking, very much like Lean startup experimentation. And mm-hmm. ultimately, the, the Jugad innovation methodology that we currently use with companies to help them solve big problems quickly and inexpensively. So you're right, both of those pieces exist. It's got to start with the mindset. Then we have the methodology that includes quick and rapid learning cycles, prototyping, which is exactly what I saw with grassroots 
entrepreneurs all over the world. But then there's a third piece that we add for corporations, and that piece is really fundamentally about organizational design. So how do we create the systems that support this kind of culture, these mindsets, and this behavior? What can organizations do to really start to foster some of that entrepreneurship? So corporations have a really important role. And one of the things they can do is they can help keep it frugal. A lot of times corporations will solve problems with add, by adding resources. Sometimes those resources actually will kill the entrepreneurship or kill the innovation, right? So keeping it frugal with an asset-based mindset in the organization and helping the entrepreneurs keep that is extremely important. Oftentimes, entrepreneurs don't want the strings that come along with big budgets, right, or the oversight. So keeping it frugal, I think, is fundamental to supporting entrepreneurs. Corporations can also make it permissionless. So in other words, they, can, they should influence and they should create these loose frameworks, but they shouldn't control. Once you get into the control, that's when the entrepreneurs start to lose their spark and they lose their interest. So, for example, if an entrepreneur has a potential solution to an end-user need or customer problem and they want to solve it in a certain way, a lot of times what we'll see is if their solution moves from under the radar and starts to bubble up, the corporation will say, hey, we have this product that you can add on to that or we have this existing model that you should use. That doesn't actually make sense to apply to what it is the entrepreneur has created. So if they make it permissionless and they do what some companies might call support, don't control, they'll have a lot more success. So allow the entrepreneur to really explore where they want to go, including with a model. A lot of times organizations are so inured to their existing models, they don't take the time to see the value in a certain solution. Corporations should also keep it fluid. This is an important one. This idea of fluidity, not being stuck in pyramids or hierarchy, allows these entrepreneurs to do something that I would call enlisting. So they enlist people from across the organization, from across functions, and they find a way. Entrepreneurs are great storytellers, and, and they find a way to help people understand, why does it make sense for me to get outside of my head and my approved work and support you in what it is that you're trying to do. And so this reaching across the aisle is not only a skill of the entrepreneur, it's something that has to be allowed and supported by the corporation. It shouldn't be interfered with because it's fundamental to the success of these entrepreneurs and what they're trying to fall for. I think one of the most important things for corporations to do is value ROI, which of course traditionally is what, Josh? Uh, the return on investment, of course. Right. And so here we change that acronym. And so for us in our vernacular of entrepreneurship, we call that return on intelligence or return mm -hmm. on insight. So it's this idea of understanding the value of the learning from these experiments that entrepreneurs conduct, from the conversations they have, from the people they enroll both inside of the organization but also outside of the organization. And until corporations start really valuing that learning, finding ways to capture it and then share it, so that becomes a part of your traditional ROI in a way, right? It's a, that is a return on your investment. It's the learning, the intelligence, and the insight that you develop Corporations will have a hard time fostering smart solutions through entrepreneurship.
And then the final thing that corporations can really do to foster entrepreneurship is support that passion and the purpose of entrepreneurs. And it's funny, in our last book, Do God Innovation, we talked about follow your heart as our sixth principle of Do God Innovation. And it, it was, it's kind of soft, so we used to just sort of mutter it under a breath like, and, and then there was fire. <laughs> but actually, <laughs> now, so fundamentally critical and so central to the work of entrepreneurs that this is now in the limelight. This is on a marquee. Passion and purpose drives entrepreneurs to create highly relevant solutions for end users. And this has to be supported by, by corporations so that these entrepreneurs can continue to do the great work that they're doing. And especially so they don't leave. Josh Ness has innovated this shift itself. He and his team created a new tool in the form of growth hacking that helps corporate innovators mentor startups in a meaningful and mutually beneficial way. So Strategy Hack, uh, like any good startup, started off as a side project. And it was a way to provide value initially for startups. And we would bring in individual marketers who were curious about the startup community. And this was at a time where uh, there were no non-technical hackathons. There, there were no specific events for the marketing community. This was really just starting back in 2012 and 2013. And it was a way for uh, individual marketers who came from a variety of backgrounds, some of it enterprise and corporate, some of it freelance, some of it working on other young growing companies themselves, to sit down with an actual real startup that was having some challenges that had a product in the market or had a service that was ready to go. Um, it had customers and it was beginning to gather data and make pivots based on customer feedback. And we found out a couple of things after hosting a couple of these, of these workshops where we would pair these individual marketers with, with these startups. And it was that startups for this particular scenario weren't going to be a viable target market for us um, once we decided we wanted to turn this into an actual business. Um, but the other was that the marketers kept coming back and we couldn't figure out why. Um, because to be a marketer, to participate in one of, these pro one of these workshops as a marketer, you had to pay $25 to secure your spot. Uh, you had to give up an entire Saturday. And we're talking from about 9 a.m. until 9 or 10 p.m., depending on how late the, um, well, the after party went. Um, <laughs> and you also had to give away your work for free. And when you combine all that together, it doesn't sound like a very, doesn't sound like something you want to do twice. But people have done it as many as five or six times. And we didn't know why. And so we asked them, um, which is something that a lot of marketers often forget to do, which is to ask your customers why they're exhibiting unusual behavior. And they said, when we go back to work on Monday, we're the rock stars. We're the ones who are asking different questions. We're the ones who are approaching challenges differently. And we're the ones who are getting promoted. And we thought there was something to that. And so we had a, a very long, several days long meeting of our executive team about how we should approach this new information. And we decided that it was worth it to pivot our own company and begin to provide value for marketing teams. And the way we do that is by working with a marketing team from an agency or from a brand and we're talking large scale brands, most of them global or agencies, global agencies, and working with their marketing team, whether it's strategists, whether it's creatives, whether it's um, sometimes it can even be account managers. We've even had some people from their HR departments participate, but uh, bringing in real startups that align with the vertical of 
that particular company or align with the verticals of the brands that a particular agency represents and having them come in and running through a similar workshop that we've kind of tweaked to to be more beneficial for the marketing side. And these marketers will spend a day, a half a day is is not uncommon, but uh, we really do prefer to have the entire day to work through this curriculum that we've developed. And it's these, in, these, these marketing teams from these agencies and brands who are accustomed to working with large-scale issues and having large-scale resources and, um, and having a global reach, having them sit down and try to solve the problems of a particular startup. And when that happens, one of the best testimonials that we have is that it, it puts them into a fight or flight response, but they can't leave. Um, because when you're when you're forced to sit down and tackle some problems that you have at, at the beginning, you're like, I have no idea how to how to handle this. You're telling me you have a fifteen thousand dollar marketing budget. I have a, a fifteen million dollar marketing budget. Um, and when you're forced to consider these constrained resources and often constrained timelines, because a, a runway is a runway and it exists for a reason. And it's 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 the amount of time that a startup has until they go bust when you have to come up with solutions that are going to extend that runway or, or begin the hockey stick process early. It's challenging and it forces them to think and to stretch their brains. And there's some conflict that occurs at the very beginning of these workshops where the founders of these companies and the members of these marketing teams are kind of butting heads uh, because these marketers are trying to understand why, why, why. And they're asking the startup to essentially justify its reasons for existence, which is not something that founders like to do, especially when they get into the later stages. And there is this moment of equilibrium that occurs, um, usually an hour or two in, and it's where these marketing teams finally uh, understand not only the business model, but the, the goals, um, the definitions of success and the challenges and what failure actually looks like to where they actually start coming together and thinking as a team. And it's not always marketers that have worked together previously. Um, we intentionally work with the, the management of these companies to make sure that we are putting together marketers that are going to complement each other, but have not necessarily worked together on projects before. And so uh, ideally, we'd like to have marketers who maybe know each other's names from email conversations, but have never actually met. Maybe they work on different floors or something, but we want them to start to see how their work impacts the other people in their company. And we want them to be able to work together to come up with solutions to very complex problems in a very short amount of time uh, because it is time limited. And because they're operating under the parameters that these startups operate, it really forces them to come together. And it's, it's I mean, if we're just talking team building alone, it's fantastic, but it really does stretch their brains in order to think about challenges differently. And our goal and what our studies have shown is that they do go back and they start looking at business challenges a little bit differently and they start looking at well what does success look like and they break it down into its component parts and they say and they identify the things that have to happen and what success looks like and and if they do fail how to pick themselves up reiterate and then try again that's the end of another episode of inside outside innovation We'd love to connect with you on Twitter at the IO Podcast or on our website, InsideOutside.io. If you've got a topic or area you'd like us to dig into, let us know because we'd love to share our insights and invite other experts like Simone, Jonathan, and Josh onto the show so that they can share theirs. Until next week, go out and innovate.